Abba Yahweh, bless this day, this day that you've walked and you know what comes before. Thank you for your grace and mercy to continue this stepping into this new day, your new day, to be in your treasury, to be able to share your truth, knowledge, and wisdom with others, Father. For my brothers and sisters and whoever will listen and have an ear and be inclined to seek salvation, redemption, and that Jesus come into their heart. Abba Yahweh, thank you for this opportunity. Abba Yahweh, Aman, Yeshua, Aman, Parakletos, Aman. So, when you have um, individuals that are, uh, I forget the word right now, um, but truly wealthy people, there, there's um, there's a difference between wealthy and and I'm not sure that uh, but I I shared this with you I, I, at one time as a younger younger man I had had worked with a, a friend and his partner and they owned a um, they were tile setters tile setter contracts and we had an opportunity to work in some various places but one area that got most of the work was a well known area people owned ranches and farms and they were some fairly well-to-do individuals. Well, one individual that we worked for was what we call a paper millionaire. He liked to brag about everything he had. He liked to show off everything he had. Rather rude, rather obnoxious, and quite honestly, a disgusting individual to work for because he ruined quite a number of areas that we had already worked and set in and wouldn't follow directions that we asked him to follow. And the other contractors got it, and they were hesitant to follow, and he would... He would just bark orders and snap his finger at them like they were dogs. And the other individual that we worked for, this man at 13 years old, jumped a ship with 35 cents in his pocket, kissed his grandmother and grandfather and said, I, I have to go make my fortune. And the fortune he did. Started with 35 cents in his pocket, very kind men, gentlemen, very outgoing and, and liked, his, uh, liked what he did. He, he started raising horses. Then he started tending horses. And um, then he started trading and selling work on Arabians and quarter horses and very well known and a very wealthy man, but also a very kind, courteous, outgoing, friendly guy, liked our work, made a point to tell us all the time and uh, specific thing, but he was kind about what he did. And he, his ranch hands, they, they worked the land and they worked the horses and he built homes for them. So they didn't have to go out and try to find rentals. He had homes on his, on his uh, horse ranch that he had built for them. He also provided his employees. He would provide them automobiles, 
if it broke down, he paid for the work on it or trade in and he'd get another vehicle for them. Took care of his employees. And uh, the importance of this difference that I'm sharing is some people absorb this thing very differently. The Bible talks about these differences and you had um, when Zacchaeus was up in the tree very short of stature but he wanted to see the Lord and he was also a wealthy individual and he said what do I have to do to have this can I you know and he wanted to he wanted to buy the buy into have thought he could do that and Jesus said oh no you can't do that you have to give up everything that you have you're going to have to just give it up and follow me well he found that very difficult to swallow. As they say, found that pill very difficult to swallow and he went off very forlorn. And then Jesus told the parable of the camel. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why do you suppose that parabolic speech is important and necessary and what does that have to do with what I just shared Plenty, because depending on where your heart is, and see, this first individual that we did work for, his heart was in his money, arrogant, self-centered, pompous, and it all revolved around his money, thinking himself so much better than someone else. And and the one time that he completely ruined a set of work that we had just done, and the plumbing contractor didn't want to go back in until it was ready, but he insisted, and they went back in. And what his complaint was that he had a double sink, and it wasn't fitting, so he was stomping his feet and really mad. And they went in, didn't. It was it was rather distressing to us for having just done seven hundred square feet of tile work in this great room. But at any rate, the plumbing contractor went in with him reluctantly, looking at us sheepishly and apologetically. The problem was that the bonehead was not putting the sink into the cutout properly. He had it backwards. And when he went in and he was, I mean, he was real, his voice was loud and he was blaming the plumbing contractor that he had done it wrong. The plumbing contractor just looked at him kind of pushed him out of the way, picked up the sink, turned it around and dropped it in exactly how it was supposed to fit. And then, of course, the wealthy man was trying to put the onus on somebody else for having set it up on the counter wrong so he couldn't see that there were two different sizes. But very much like that first man, and uh, all those hackers might not have been so obstinate and anxious and so many things he did, but he thought that his money could get ahead of everything. It's not that way always. It's not that way always, not at all. Now that's not to say that all wealthy people are that way, not at all. There are some very nice, outgoing, generous um, They're decent to people, but unfortunately, my experience in this plane of existence we're in, 
is that mostly they're rather arrogant, rude, self-centered, obnoxious, and they think that their their money somehow gets them the right to talk to other people in a belittling or demeaning manner. And it does not. Don't stack up your treasure and put your heart into your treasure in their temporal things. This is a very important example. Saul, I've shared this with you before, that Saul nearly lost out on his anointment, his anointing to be the king of Israel because why? He was caught up in his stuff. Where they found him was in his, I don't know what you'd call it, a storage or big, uh, where he kept his treasures from battles and things, and he was able to uh, take what he had won in the battle. And he stored it up. His trophy room, his trophy barn or barn shed, whatever. But he was so caught up in this, and he was sitting in the middle of this, just kind of, I can almost get a picture of it. He's sitting around and looking around back and forth, and he was running his hands over the his treasure that he had accumulated from these battles. And he nearly lost it. They had to go find him because he nearly lost out on his anointing They were looking for him. He needs to be here. We were ready to anoint his head and declare him king. They went and found him, and that's where they found him, sitting in the middle of his stuff, all temporal. The things that we have, where do you put your heart? Is your heart with God, Jesus the, the greatest treasure that we could have, that we could possibly have in so many overlooked us. And so, so many self-proclaimed Christians forget about it or they overlook it as well. The greatest treasure that we could possibly have is that our Lord stepped off of his throne, took off his crown, came to this plane of existence that we are on, was raised as a child, taught as a man, crucified as our Lord and sacrificial lamb from heaven because he so loved this world and did not want to destroy it as in the days of Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah. He wants us to have an opportunity to spend our life, our eternity with him and our loved ones and be in heaven and be greatly blessed for always, just because we believe and have faith in him. The greatest treasure that any can possibly have. And yet, there are those that will look at what's around and they declare this their home, they declare the wealth that they have and have accumulated as their treasure and this place is their home. And I've, I've actually heard those that are claiming to be Christian as declaring this as, oh, that's, that, that can't happen. This is my home. I'll, I'll fight for that. Uh, wait a second. The Bible is very clear about it, that this is not 
our home. Declaration of this to be your home? Better get back in the word of God. This is not our home. When we accept that Jesus Christ came and died, appointed of God, anointed of God, and came to this plane and gave his life as a sacrificial lamb for our sakes so that we could have eternity in heaven and that we are now, once that is accomplished, we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. The scriptures are very clear. Billy Graham, I'll share his quote yet again with you. And he said, quote unquote, my home is in heaven. I'm just traveling through this world. And I'm here and I've shared before that I have a work visa from God as some migrant or ready to immigrate from one country to another. They sometimes will get a work visa so that they can go and establish a place, get work and see what it's like in that new country. And then they immigrate. They produce their records and their documents and things that they're supposed to have so that they become a citizen of that new country. That's the way it's supposed to work. What we have here on this plane of existence, I'm working on a visa approved from God. He put his stamp of validation on it, which is the only validation that we need. And I'm working on this plane of existence. And what do I have? I have my salvation from Lord Jesus, who was crucified for my sake. He came for me. He came to save me and make sure that I go to heaven. And anyone else who would hear and have an ear to the scriptures and hear the gospel and want to be saved. I've shared with you before, if you've never taken the opportunity to do so, it's very easy. It's not an easy walk, but it's very easy to do. But you also have to keep in mind that Jesus tells us and he says that we're going to go out to share the word. People are going to hate us for it. But we have to have faith and hold on to his mighty right hand because he has promised to be with us in all things wherever we go. I've shared this with you before. When God tells us that we are to be of good courage, be not afraid nor dismayed, because I, my Lord, thy God, am with you whithersoever thou goest. And I've shared with you before that in God telling us that, that just doesn't mean going from point A, one city or one location or one coast and driving across country to another location, another coast or what have you or another state. It doesn't only mean that. It also means in our highs when, when God and we're so happy and we're so, and it's so much easier to be joyful and rejoicing and also in the deepest valleys where we feel very down, depressed, maybe we just lost a loved one and it's very dark and we start thinking, of course, Satan loves to pour this out on us and his white noise is that God 
doesn't see us down here. God is with us whithersoever we go. Up to the peak, into the valley, point A to point B. doesn't matter. God's always there. When we don't see him or we think that he's gone, that's because we are not talking to him. We've turned away from him. We have decided that we're going to do it on our own. Whatever the reason would be, God does not turn away. And always with us. And this is this one scripture, I, I re, do this, and I remind myself, Colossians 3 and 23. And in Colossians 3 and 23, it talks about whatever we do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. And I remind myself of this because, and this was when I was in my, <laughs> it, quite honestly, it is fairly easy to get down there because having been in the Marines and having been raised the way I was raised, it's a, it's a rather fairly easy way, you know, because... For me, I'd like things to be a certain way when you're in the job. You have to, you know, you're a uniformed individual. You have to look a certain way. You have to do things a certain way. And they ask that we perform our jobs a certain way. And it's not being done. And there's no real way to get anybody to follow it. They pretty much are doing what they want to do. So that's a little difficult for me. And what I was doing, and I shared this with you before, is that I was going back to God you know, who sees everything and he's aware of it. But I, the complaint was for me that I was spewing off. I didn't want to spout to anybody at work or the, because I'd already had responses from supervisory staff and manager, but I was spouting to God and the Holy Spirit just said, you know, you do realize that we see all these things and you're feeling like you need to remind us. You need to remind your father who is aware of everything that goes on in your life. You have to remind him of what they're doing. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me that I am to do this as unto the Lord and not as unto mammon, which is exactly what it says in Colossians 3 and 23. And whatever ye did, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Now, whatever was going on in my life, God brought me here where I am for a purpose or reason. Wasn't un not exactly sure, and sometimes that happens. However, God will make it clear, and all you have to do is ask, and I never did. <laughs> I was still wasn't walking with God as I should be. And I'm so glad that he changed my heart and turned that all around. Thank you, Father. But in my job, and the Holy Spirit was talking to me in this, is that I don't gripe and complain because God's already aware. He likes us to talk to him and, and speak with him and and have a relationship 
and a rapport, but he doesn't have to constantly be reminded as he actually spoke to Moses and reminded him when the nation of Israel and was full of their complaints for everything that he was doing, the abundance of blessings that he was pouring out on them. And yet they complained and griped and God talked to Moses and said, how long are you going to try my patience in this? It's like you're making a 150-mile, 200-mile road trip and the children in the backseat constantly, about every, every two, three minutes for the entire trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Why are we taking so long? Are we, did we miss a turn? Are we lost? And, and you hear that all the way for the whole trip. The only time that you don't hear it is when you stop and get out of the car to put gasoline in and you let them make a restroom break. That's the only time that you don't hear it. When you take a lunch break and you're sitting with them, they're eating and putting food in their face, but then the question arises, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? Are we going to be there by supper? When are we going to get there? And then it starts all over again when you start down the road. First couple minutes, you don't hear it, and then they start into the routine again. Yeah, just faith, faith. And what I turned my position around, it is an annoyance, and sometimes I, I do find it, but I don't take it to God as a complaint. Instead, I remind myself to just correct, do, and lead by example of doing the right thing. And that's all that we can do, actually. I'm no longer a staff sergeant in the Marine Corps. I can't harp on them. I can't say anything. I don't have a uniform. I don't have a position of authority. I'm just an employee. And that's okay because God brought me here. I have an opportunity to share the word and meet people. And as I pray, and God brings them, he brings them to me so that I can be blessed and bless them. It's an awesome place to be. When you look at it in that manner, do not do your work as unto mammon. You do what you do as unto the Lord. So it leads you into doing the best that you can, better even than what you may have done as if you were doing it to mammon. And you will be blessed for it. And in Psalms 105, verse 4, here we go, the rule of faith again, Colossians, and then we go back to the Old Testament, we go into Psalms. And while you're doing the work as unto the Lord and not unto mammon, in Psalm 105, verse 4, and I find this a necessary place to be fairly often I'm actually going to I'm going to start at verse 1 actually it's all relative and it's by God's great pouring out of his love and his blessings to us that we need to remember that give thanks unto the lord call upon his name make known his deeds among the people sing unto him sing psalms unto him talk ye all of his wondrous works 
Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord, and in his strength, seek his face evermore. So, David is writing in this song, in this poem that he was writing, is that we need to focus on God, what he does, what he will do, and what he has done. He is powerful. And we just have to remember that we are weak and he is strong. Very little church song I remember as a child from that. Uh, can't remember all the verses. We are weak, but he is strong. Ah, Jesus loves me for the Bible tells me so. And in Psalms, in the Psalm 105, and we're going to jump over here, starting at verse 39. He spread a cloud for covering and fire to give light in the night. The people asked and he brought quails and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and the waters gushed out. They ran in the dry places like a river. For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. And he brought forth his people with joy and his chosen with gladness. Except, there is an exception to that, that they had forgotten that God did that and does that. And they were reminded when they were crossing into the promised land. And Joshua told his elders to remind them to look back. Not to look back where they had gone and all the troubles and turmoils and all the things that they had. But they were looking back to remind themselves of how many times God took care of them and to remind them of the cloud and the fire and the quail and the bread of heaven. I mean, manna was, angels ate that. And for them, it was pleasurable. And here's the thing. They forgot. They forgot. When Moses was gone, stayed gone for days at a time, he was on the mountain. The days and days and days went by. I think it was 40 days. He was up there a long time. And the people got antsy and they talked Aaron into building them a, an idol. And they began to worship that false idol. One of the gods that had come from Egypt with them. And you have to remember that when the, when the nation of Israel was taken from bondage out of Egypt and went, there were others that went with them. And they were from many other walks. They were not all from Israel. And when they went, they took their beliefs and their ideologies with them. And when Moses stayed gone for so long, they turned back and they had Aaron to cast them a golden calf. And then they started to worship and idolize that. 
and they fell into the debauchery that went along with that. And that's when Moses came down and became angry on the mountain and cast the Ten Commandments down because they weren't worthy. But, brothers and sisters, we just have to hold on to, faithfully hold on to. And when we do look back, when we do that, Satan desires that we're bound up and we're tied up and we regret and we, we waller in that slime pit of regret or remorse, however you want to put it. He is desires that we waller in that. Oh, woe is me. Why did I do that? I would have done that. I could have done that. I should have done that. That is all from Satan. When the people looked back and when Joshua told the elders to remind them to look back, it was of all the times that God was with them. He provided them with manna. They complained. He provided them with quail. They complained. He provided the pheasant. They complained. Provided them with water on numerous occasions. They complained because they didn't have any with them in between. Well, maybe they didn't fill their goatskins up enough. Or they weren't concerned about that because they just decided that, oh, God will take care of everything. God will take care of everything. Brothers and sisters, I need to remind those out there, and there are those that I have heard this too. Oh, we don't know, need to worry about any of the battles. We don't have to do that because we're, the Holy Spirit's got that. God's got that, you know. Excuse me, that's total contrary to what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we are in a spiritual warfare. What the Holy Spirit will do is he will tell us when we are to engage, and sometimes we are to engage. And that engagement is a physical confrontation. Sometimes it's pulling, reaching into the lagos and pulling out a rema and using that. Okay, remember, the lagos is the armory. Rema are the swords, and each time that Satan came at Jesus, he parried his attacks with a sword of the truth three times, and Satan finally just gave up and left. He was not able to succumb to the authority of Jesus our Lord. And then the angels came and ministered to him. Sometimes we need to draw the Rema from the armory and utilize those. And the Bible reminds us that we are in a spiritual warfare. It's not on this plane of existence. So it's not going to be in a physical hand, fisticuffs and knockdown, kicking, sword swinging, shield bashing warfare. You are reminded of all the parts of the armor the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the truth, and that in order to walk in this plane of existence, our feet need to be shod in the preparation of the gospel. And we're reminded how people are going to be, how derisive they're going to be, especially when you attempt to share the gospel, the word of God. So when individuals will say, oh, the Holy Spirit's got this, he'll fix it, he'll take care of it, that is being a lazy, slothful 
alleged Christian because the Bible speaks that way, exactly that way. And the Lord calls them slothful and lazy because they're not sharing the word, they're not sharing the gospel, and they're not doing what they were tasked to do. My task is to be about my father's business. I want to be that, about my father's business. I want to share the word, and I want to make sure that others have the opportunity for salvation as I was given and chose. And that opportunity is given to them because there are very many on this plane that have not even had the opportunity to hear the gospel, to hear the word of God. And God has tasked us to share that. For our salvation, he just asks that we share the word of God. And sometimes, as it was when I was a younger man, that there are pastors that would ask for a testimony to stand up and share what God has done in their life or what the Lord has done in their salvation. <clears throat> and as opposed to other organizations where I've been, and it just turned out to be a one-upmanship storytelling thing, it wasn't a testimony really, but in the, in the body of the church, the testimony is to glorify God, what God has done in one's life. It isn't a glorification of self and vanity and if you get up to do it for that reason then shame on you i've shared this with you before that when i share things particular things that have happened to me specifically it's not to be oh wow out of boy yeah it's not for me this is what the holy spirit did when it grabbed onto me and kept me from driving off that bridge the holy spirit did that if it was up to me, I would have driven off that bridge. I would be plummeting, plummeting 300 feet to the ocean below, surely have died, which would have been the intent, which then, of course, Satan would have been so pleased with that because his goal was to keep me from my Lord and for me to perish. God did not have that in his game plan. So the Holy Spirit revealed to me my grandchildren. And again, I share with you, my children were not even, I don't even think they were in the middle point of elementary school. Far too young to even be thinking of their own children. I don't know. But the Holy Spirit revealed that to me. And many other times where things would surely have been gone. And why didn't I perish from the other places that I've been in the world? God had an intention and a plan. He did not intend for me to go to Beirut, Lebanon. In my mind's eye, I should have gone. And let me, let me pose it this way. What good would it have done for me to go over there and had been killed with all the other guys that were in the unit that I was in. And it was very strange that we were all in the same unit training together. And then a whole bunch of them went that way and I went a different way. And it could have been, you know, and speculating on this is, I could speculate and it could be for anything. It could be my specialty training that I had. It could be many other things. 
but I didn't go. And I'm here. I'm doing God's work. I'm being about my father's business. And many things that are happening would not have happened if I had gone there. My oldest son, non-existent. Youngest son, non-existent. Grandchildren, definitely non-existent. God had an intention, a purpose, a design, and a will for me to go through whatever I've gone through. And I don't look back with uh, remorse and regret and, well, I would have done this and I could have done that and I should have done that. You can't look at things that way. First of all, here's, here's a couple things that we have to remember. Looking in the past in that way is a sin. And looking to the future and trying to establish the future is also a sin because neither one belonged to us anymore. The future does not belong to us yet and the past does not belong to us anymore. God took care of what happened back there. And when we look back, we look back in remembrance and worship to God the Father who is walking with us, who walks with us and will walk with us according to the promises that he's made to us. That's what we look back on. That's what we remember. Not what you would have done, what you could have done, and what you should have done. That is remorseful. And Satan points his finger and desires that you waller in that slop, which is exactly what it is. It's like hogs wallering in the slop. And what they do, they do that to help them cool down and to get rid of bugs. It's not because they're a filthy animal. Actually, they're not. They're only filthy when they waller in the mud. So do you want to be filthy and waller in that slop as Satan would love you to do? Or do you want to be clean? Do you want to be bright and white and clean? If you want to be bright and clean, then you hold on to the word of God. You seek his face in all you do. You praise his name and you thank him and every and everything that's like being on that on that sailboat like like Micah used that analogy of the sailboat. You're going into a tumultuous time, but you go in preparation, and that preparation for us would be in prayer. The sailors of that vessel, they either tighten or loosen the halyards as need be, so that the mast doesn't snap or the sails don't tear. That's why in a lot, if you've watched any old pirate movies or any old ships, when they get ready to get into a stormy weather, they draw down the mainsails and they sail with small sails. And these guys are busy up on the masts and up the uh, up those rope climbs. And they get up there and they pull the sails down and they tie them up so that they're not taken by the wind and breaking the mast. And then they flounder in the storm and could sink. God is our co-pilot and the Holy Spirit is at our rudder to guide our route. In walking, he guides our path. No matter what we're getting ready to go through, thank the Lord for being with us. And Sometimes it's difficult to do, but you can even thank him for the circumstance. That can be a little bit more difficult for some. I get that. It's difficult for me. But once I get through to the other side or even 
sometimes in the midst of it, when I grab on to the Lord and I'm holding and I can feel him squeeze my hand, I tell him, thank you for what you're trying to teach me. And here's the other thing that you have to remember. <laughs> this is one that my, my pastor, when I was a child growing up, and I remember one of his sermons, he reminds you to be careful of what you pray for because God just might give it to you. Wrap your mind around that and think about it a little bit because it's, it's truth. When a person prays for patience, oh God, give me patience. Be ready because you're going to go for a ride. You're going to go for more than an eight-second ride. In order to get that PBR trophy, you got to ride a bowl for a lot of rounds, and you've got to ride a bowl for more than eight seconds, or at least eight seconds till the bell goes, the whistle goes, or however they do it, wherever they're at. And it's going to buck. It's going to toss. It's going to try to knock you off, and then it's going to try to stomp you into the ground. I'm not saying that God's going to try to stomp you into the ground, but it may be a rough ride. But you asked for it. You asked God for patience or whatever you ask. So it may be, and you have to remember this too, is that God will allow things to come to temper our faith. Tempering is a term that is used uh, with metal. You temper the metal, you harden the metal, strengthen the metal. They temper the swords when they're making a blade. And they have to do that, otherwise it's just going to break or bend or be useless and it won't hold an edge. So the metal must be tempered. Remember this when you're praying for things that God is going to temper and it may be kind of hot. But remember that in order for metal to be pliable, it has to be heated. In order for us to be pliable, we may have to be heated. Just be aware of what you're paying for. Be aware of what's going to take place. But mostly be aware that God has promised to be with us whithersoever we go. Not just point A to point B, but up to the mountaintop that he helped us get to or to the valley that's dark and seemingly so covered and can't be. God sees and he is with. And all you have to do is speak his name. And as Jesus told the disciples when they were in the upper room and so fearful of the Jews that once Jesus got out of the way, <laughs> see, they had, this, uh, they had this issue with Jesus because he had authority. He spoke with authority. And you notice when they took Jesus, it was not a, which is so typical of bullies, but it was not a one-on-one -on -one thing. They had a whole bunch, but they also did that because they were fearful of the people that had heard what he said. And if they got wind of what they were doing, <clears throat> that they would come and try to save him. But God also was in that too, because this was something that was supposed to take place.
Remember that simply because you don't see the wind doesn't mean that you stop breathing. And simply because you can't see God with your physical eyesight, your mammon eyes, doesn't mean that you shut off your faith switch. Doesn't mean that you go into denial. Don't see the wind, don't stop breathing. Don't see God, don't stop having faith. And I can share this in many instances simply because you don't see it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. We used to have this thing when we talked about karmic relationship. And when people that are really terrible, mean, and nasty to others, they will get their comeuppance. You may not see it. You may not witness it to happen. But what they issue, they will also receive. And it won't be very pleasant for them because usually when the reception comes back to them and they start receiving exactly what they've dished out, it will be increased to them. And this is why we are instructed to show love, compassion, kindness, and those things. And when uh, Paul writes about this, actually, um, let me find that scripture, if you will. Please bear with me a moment. I'm flipping my pages. And yeah, I do have... Paper Bible. I, I love turning the pages. I love to be. This is a great thing. I've shared that with you. And I forgot where it's at. I do that sometimes. Well. I am sorry, but I can't find the specific. Uh, However, there is one that is similar. And I would be sharing that because it's, um, there is a similitude between the two. Actually, because it talks about love. And remember that in the Bible and in uh, certain translations, they talk about love, and the word is charity. But charity is not as we as we understand charity. A lot of things that we have, we have charitable organizations, and we give to charities. So, in Colossians 3, It talks about that thing. And it talks about this. So if you read chapter 3, and I'm just going to share some excerpts from that. And I'll read, starting at verse 8, Colossians 3, verse 8. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man 
with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, Abba Yahweh, Father God, maker of all things made. That's my answer. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Colossians 3, very important, because that's what we are called to be. Be like him. Put that out and not what we would do one to another as we often do. And when it tells us not to speak in flattering lips, that we will talk to our neighbor one way and then behind their back we talk exactly opposite. Be two-faced. Be truthful and honest. And if they're doing something that is wrong or you feel aggrieved because of it, you can kindly share that with them. You can give that to them, but do it in a, in a kind way so that you're not angry. You don't come at them with angry words or let So many times, and this is a hard lesson for me to learn too, because <laughs> as a Marine and an instructor, my voice was loud many times especially when I had troops that weren't paying attention. And once I put on that instructional voice, they stood and listened. And they shut that thing on the front of their face and they paid attention to what I was saying. Because I was given that authority from my superior officers or commanding officers in order to get an instructional class across. But when I said it, but... Before that, when they're getting loud and then you're trying to get loud to talk to somebody and they're getting louder and louder and I've seen these arguments go back and forth. And this was a lesson that <laughs> this was a lesson that I didn't pay attention to. I didn't quite understand and it took quite a long time, which sometimes our lessons do that. But when you talk in a softer voice and you talk in a diminished voice, which was the same thing that God did with Elijah up on Mount Hebron, he took him out on the mountain, so all that loud noise was there, but nowhere was God's voice in that. And then when he took him back into the cave, he was able to hear the still, small voice. So sometimes when you're in the midst and there's this loud clamoring back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, and it doesn't get any better because one side gets louder and tries to improve their vantage by voice, and then the other one gets louder and tries to improve their vantage by voice, it just turns into a bunch of noise and nobody is understanding each other at all. So diminish, soften, and talk to them like a person. And it actually, there's much more clarity. But be in a still small voice with your neighbor. We can do that. Actually, we're instructed to do that. You don't start screaming and hollering at somebody. You don't, don't start yelling at them for those trespasses that they might have done by letting their dog poop on the lawn and then they didn't come and pick it up. You don't scream at them about it. You don't holler at them about it. And then you don't talk about it behind their back when you say, oh, no, that's okay. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. 
be honest in that and don't talk about them behind their back. And when you tell them to take care of it and you go do that, don't gripe about it. Don't do it with grumbling. Don't do it with issues and and then talking to another neighbor about them for them not doing that. Oh, you know how they are with their dog. And you start grumbling and griping and then you're what the scripture calls double speak or double tongue or double hearted. Don't be of a dual heart that you tell them to their face one thing and then act a different way. So we need to be honest. We need to be truthful. We need to stay in the word of God. We need to seek his face in all things. And have faith. Have faith. That's the most important thing. And remember that there is the saying that iron sharpens iron, steel sharpens steel. We need to sharpen each other's edges and do that. But not confrontationally, not striking out, not hurtfully, exhorting, helping, uplifting and share the word of God because that's what he has asked us to do. I am about my father's business because that's what he directs me to do by virtue of the fact that Jesus anointed of God Christ came for me and whosoever will hear the word, desire to be saved and reach out and just say, Jesus, change my life, come into my heart. I want to have faith in God. I want the Holy Spirit to guide my steps. In Jesus' name, amen. And that word amen means so be it. Brothers and sisters, it's very simple to do. Reach out and touch the Lord as he passes by. Reach out and grab onto the hem of that garment Jesus, I know you can do this if you will. I want you in my life. And he will turn to you and he will say, of course, I love you. And then he will take you, embrace you and kiss your brow. And you are forgiven and you have asked Jesus to change your life. You've asked him in. Then you have to work at faith in God. And I told you, it's not an easy walk because the world desires to have you pulled away from that, and Satan will try whatever he can to get you off the path. The closer my walk gets to God, my Father, the harder some things become because he wants me not to be there. I want to be there. I remember what it was not to be there, and I definitely want to be there. And I don't look back and get bound up in the remorse and the hurt and the things that were causation because I have declared that to the Lord and he has offered forgiveness. But Satan doesn't want you to have that. He wants you to remember all that you've done and how much of a failure you are and how bad. Pointing the finger of accusation and condemnation, that is of the devil. God will never, ever take you back to that point and say, Yeah, but I remember when you did this and you did that and you did thus and thus and this and this and that and that. I'm not sure I can forgive you this time. God will not do that. Never do that. And the devil will manipulate your thought process, put that white noise in there and make you think that God is doing that and that is not the truth. And this is part of the onslaught that the enemy has. He's very, he can camouflage. 
He can disguise. He can misrepresent and misdirect. He uses that thing that they call in uh, in magic or the illusionists. It's called smoke and mirrors. You get your attention over one way and then he manipulates your your vision by being concentrating on that and then the prestige takes place on an, in another point of the stage and then you're like, ooh, wow, ah. See, he likes to misdirect your attention to get you away from your focus on God and take you to another direction and then when something happens, you're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Well, of course you didn't because he misdirected your focus. He took you away from the focus of the Lord trying to teach you and guide your steps through the Holy Spirit and had you misdirected. So you were focusing on that instead of on what God intended you to be focused on. Brothers and sisters, I pray for you on my going out and my coming in. And those of you that have not made the decision as yet, I pray for you as well. I pray for the healing of this nation. I pray for, I put my prayers out there for God to know that my heart is there. So for those of you that are listening to this word, I am about my father's business, his business and not my own. Be blessed, you're in my prayers.